the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Thank you, sir, and a good afternoon to you. Welcome. Good to have you together. An opportunity to uh, spend some time. Uh, what's the old uh, phrase from Scripture? Um, Come and let us reason together. And uh, we're certainly going to do just that on this edition of Lifeline. Craig Roberts again here with you each Monday through Friday from 5 until 7 p.m. Addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. Well, on today's program, very special guests are going to join us. And we're going to deal with a topic that has been an ongoing theme here since, um, well, really Memorial Day weekend, and um, will continue to be an ongoing theme out of tremendous necessity. And as you know, America, really since um, February, early March, um, has been in the throes of two upending events. The first, of course, was the pandemic that began in March, as I mentioned. And then the other, the match that was lit to racial relations in our nation, the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back, I guess some might call it, that occurred over Memorial Day weekend with the tragic killing of George Floyd. It has once again risen to the surface, the fact that America has an an enormous amount of unfinished business and veins of hurt, anger, prejudice and racism that go deep as they are long in relationship to the history of our nation. And this is a dialogue, as I say, that we've begun and will continue to engage in out of extreme necessary because I believe at certain levels the very survival of our nation depends upon it. Preparing to come on the air this afternoon, I take note of a video that went viral yesterday out of Branson, Missouri. This video shows a woman holding a Confederate flag at a Black Lives Matter protest there in Missouri telling demonstrators, and I quote, I will teach my grandkids to hate you all, close quote. The 37-second video shows the woman in an apparent confrontation with a protester while she's sitting on the back of a truck at a parking lot of a company called Dixie Outfitters, a clothing store located in Branson, Missouri. Some 65 protesters had gathered in the area to demonstrate against the store, whose owners have had a history of involvement with the Ku Klux Klan. The woman, who identified herself as Kathy Bennett of Branson, was supporting, or sporting rather, a Make America Great Again hat, as she addressed the protesters, saying, I will teach my grandkids to hate you all. Dixie Outfitters says on its website that it is a store, quote, dedicated to preserving 
showing pride in and educating others about true Southern history, saying that the Confederate battle flag is the symbol of less government, less taxes, and the right of people to govern themselves. It is flown in memory and honor of our Confederate ancestors and veterans who willingly shed their blood for Southern independence. Close quote. Wow. I will teach my grandkids to hate you all. It certainly, in the phrase like that, ought to shock and horrify human beings that have a sense of compassion and mercy and a connectedness with their humanity should shock and horrify. But that statement, beyond shocking and horrifying, does have some truism contained in it. And maybe it's something that we can all learn from. That in a very real sense, yes, man suffers from our fallen condition of sin that dates back to that of Adam and Eve in the garden. Scripture reminds us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But we're also reminded of something else, that aside from our innate sin nature that causes us to act in very hateful, unkind, God-dishonoring ways, that some of our behavior, in addition to our sin nature, is also learned. As the woman said, I will teach my grandkids. God help this nation. To help put some perspective on this and the tremendous work that we have to do, not just as Americans, people of color, people of white ancestry, but as the church, we've asked Pastor Paul Shepard to join us on the program. He, of course, senior pastor of Destiny Christian Fellowship, host of the broadcast Destined for Victory, heard each Monday through Friday at 3.30 p.m. right here on KFAX, author of a new book, by the way, entitled Defeating Discouragement. And Pastor Paul, a delight to have you with us. Greg, it's always good to be with you. This is the first time we haven't been together in the studio uh, there in Fremont, but uh, we know what's going on these days, so we have to learn to do things differently. But it's a joy to uh, be on with you, as always. And today, um, I've asked my wife to join me. She's on another extension. We're at our home um, and so being at home, let me apologize in advance if there's any noise you wouldn't normally hear if you and I are sitting in the, in the uh, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll contend with we'll, we'll contend with ringing uh, telephones or, or <laughs> folks knocking at the door with no problem. Let me uh, yep. take the privilege and honor of introducing uh, your lovely wife. They say that behind every great man is an even greater woman, and uh, certainly in this case it's true. <laughs> it <laughs> so is Meredith Shepard is with us. She's right next to me. They're fair enough. Uh, Meredith, of course, is the co-founder of Destiny Christian Fellowship, director of ministries there, and um, is by herself also a author and speaker. In fact, she also has a brand new book out entitled Letters to Pastors' Wives. And Sister Meredith, great to have you with us as well. It's my pleasure to be with you, my brother. Thank you so much. This is a difficult topic, and I want to dive right in because there's so much to unpack here. And, and I want to begin with, I'll mention for listeners, that it was several weeks ago that just uh, kind of poking around on the Internet right now, uh, one night, I happened to come across um, a, a video that had been posted by Pastor Shepard in the days immediately following the death of George Floyd um, that called into question a lot of very important topics and issues that surround this event. 
that um, I think can be a, a, an important learning experience for all of us. And, and to that point, as I mentioned, Pastor Shepard, in my opening remarks and the vile things that that woman said in um, that protest on Monday, um, much of this, aside again, and, and not to, to diminish at all um, the, the impact of inherent sinful nature that we all have in us, there is a very great truism to what she says in that hatred of others, racial prejudice of any sort, much of that is really a learned sort of um, mentality, isn't it? It certainly is. Uh, unfortunately, that is that is the truth with all cultures, with all uh, societies. They figure out what it is that will promote their self-interest and uh, based on that, they have they develop love for certain things and certain people, and hatred for other things and other people. And it is always amazing when I see uh, little children of a of a race other than African American, and I'm in a store somewhere, and the little kid is maybe in their mom or dad's arms, and they they're looking over their shoulder at me, and I smile, and they smile, and I often think. Uh, he hasn't learned to see me as anything other than a human being who is smiling at him, so apparently this guy likes me, and so it's okay for me to like him too. And wouldn't it be wonderful if parents would just let that continue? But as often happens, we put our stuff, our junk, and our um, our personal preconceived notions and prejudices on the generations following, and we end up with the messes such as we're we're seeing in today's world. Some of what we're seeing right now bubbling to the surface um, for much of white America may be new or uh, certainly varying degrees of ignorance about such matters. And um, I, I think maybe it's important for us to understand that the dynamics that are at play here are deep, they are wide, they are historical, and they are everywhere. I, I guess seemingly we've managed, at least in the majority of white America, to kind of keep a lid on a lot of this, or look the other way, or perhaps the occasional event will spring forward into the news that um, gets some attention for a while. I think of, for example, what happened in Ferguson. And uh, there was some debate and dialogue for a season, and then everything kind of quieted back down, and it went back to quote-unquote normal again, although it's a horrifying normal to be sure. That said, there seems to be something different about what has happened with George Floyd. Is there a degree to which we can look at this and see that this is sort of the, the proverbial straw that broke the camel's back, that finally black Americans have reached the breaking point where it's just the level of, of the ability to continue to tolerate and put up with this finally reached a breaking point? I, I think that is the case. This has been, this is a tipping point in our uh, our nation in particular on two fronts, as you mentioned in your opening. Uh, the coronavirus is uh, quite the pandemic, something I don't think most of us really saw uh, coming. We didn't even think possible. Um, and so we have that tipping point, but right along with it, we have the tipping point of this particular incident uh, in Minneapolis. And as you suggest, I really think uh, it's different this time because when you look at the protests that have taken place and all the 
things that are going on around, not only around the country, but in other countries. When you see across the oceans, there are societies saying enough is enough, and they're not even having to deal with it directly here in America, but they just want to see change happen and they want to stand in solidarity. Uh, this one is very real. So my, my personal call um, is to the body of Christ, because as a, as a, a born-again believer myself, and as a pastor, um, I want to say to the body of Christ, we need to learn so we can lead. The only way we can lead the society and show them what unity and agreement uh, and agreeing to disagree respectfully about some things, the only th- way that will happen is if we get it right in the church, and then we let our light shine and let the world uh, see us living out our faith in a loving way. And of course, so much of that is not just our attitude on Sunday mornings, although I think it's important to note that at one time Martin Luther King had said that America was no more divided racially than she was Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock. But that said, it, it might be easy to kind of slap a little window dressing on this and, and make an effort to get along for the hour, hour and a half on Sunday morning, and then we go back um, to our, our quote-unquote regular lives the rest of the week not really fully, not only engaging and participating in what it means to be unified in Christ, but then living that out as a model and example for the rest of the world. And I want to spend some time focusing on that. And the other thing that I hope to accomplish here today is to have the two of you share from your own personal experience, from a pastoral standpoint, a parenting standpoint, just living in America standpoint, what some of the experience is like. Because I think far few Americans really fully appreciate. They see the severe cases. We read about what happens with the George Floyds. But to understand the level to which so much of this is ingrained in day-to-day culture and life in America and how challenging it is on a daily basis. I mean, it's, it's sort of the sense of constantly looking over your shoulder because you never know. This is a experience that many white Americans are disconnected from, and I think it's high time that we begin to understand or learn from, sit at the feet, so to speak, from those who experience it on a day-to-day basis, so we can get an understanding of the scope and nature in which sometimes, maybe unwittingly, we are participatory in racial prejudice and discrimination maybe sometimes unaware. Now, the woman in Branson, is she aware? Probably. But are the ways in which you and I are unaware? Maybe, too. We'll get to that part of the dialogue. Let's take a brief time out, get you updated (coughs) on some traffic, and we'll get back to more of our conversation with uh, Sister Meredith Shepherd and Pastor Paul Shepherd as we're talking today about the events that are unfolding in America, the challenges before us, to bring about a unified nation. Let's get a look at traffic right now. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. 
Welcome back to The Conversation. Special guest on the program today, Pastor Paul and Sister Meredith Shepherd. Pastor Paul Shepherd, of course, the senior pastor at Destiny Christian Fellowship and speaker on the Destined for Victory broadcast heard each afternoon at 3.30 p.m. right here on KFAX. Pastor Paul, by the way, has a new book out called Defeating Discouragement and Sister Shepherd, I might add, also has a new book out called Letters to Pastor's Wives, both uh, just uh, newly out and you can find them on both Amazon.com as well as going to Pastor Paul's website, PastorPaul.net. That's PastorPaul.net. Pastor Shepard, let me let me turn back to an issue. You you have worked as a pastor here in the Bay Area for a good number of years, and um, even starting with your your pastorship across the Bay in uh, in Mountain View, um, you worked with a very mixed race congregation, um, and so you've learned how to sort of navigate some of the the challenges that are inherent, the misunderstandings, if I can say that, that are inherent to um, serving in a congregation of that sort. And, and so maybe you can draw from a, some of that experience, along with your experience of just raising kids here in the Bay Area, to help educate us on, on some of the top concerns that are being faced by black America today and how we, particularly as the church, need to be shouldering together, working together to address these issues. Let, let's first begin with oftentimes what is a a sense of confusion, and that is some people will say, well, you know, you're just relying upon hundreds of years of old history, and that's water underneath the bridge, and you're trying to make me feel guilty over something that I had nothing to do with it. That's sort of the, the typical excuse that's used by by many folks. But what is the true background? Bring us some understanding into that historical perspective, if you would. Well, I um, I learned a lot of this because God put me in a school I never thought I would be enrolled in. Uh, I came to California in 1989 with a vision the Lord had given me when I was a pastor on the East Coast um, that I would be a discipler and a soul winner, um, and that uh, he was going to bless me uh, to lead a church that, that eventually would grow to thousands. I knew that in Philadelphia, and when I came across the country, that was the vision I communicated with the 34-member church that called me to be their pastor. And I said to these 34 people, hey, God says when it's all said and done, there are going to be thousands of us, and um, so let's just get ready to, to, to reap the harvest. Let's pray and do all we're to do. I'll preach, you all pray, and, and let's believe God. And over the course of the years, it, it was slow coming, but eventually, by the time we got where we were going, God had fulfilled that uh, promise in surprising ways. Not only when I left Abundant Life in December of 2009, it was a church of more than 7,000 people, and 45% of them were non-black. I was, when that first began to happen, I was shocked. I'll never forget the first two white people who joined the church. We were still a church of less than 100 when that happened, and I thought, wow, two white people want to come to the church. That's cool. But I didn't really think any more of it, and eventually I saw, no, no, this was something God was doing. He was drawing people from different cultural backgrounds, and by the time we were a church, a mega church, again, 45% of us were not black. And so I learned in those years some of the sensitivities. What you just said, Craig, I learned that a lot of uh, white believers said, look, you know, we love God, and, we, and we're people of faith. And we don't want to, to experience white guilt 
every time a an issue comes up that has racial undertones um, in the nation or even in our area. And so they counted on their pastor to be balanced, and I made sure to be balanced because, no, I don't think the answer is white guilt or any other kind of guilt. I think we need to simply build relationships. Uh, my wife is on, and, and I'm thankful that you invited her on, Craig, because one of the things she did in those years was she intentionally built relationships with women who were non-black, and they built, uh, they went past the surface. They, they didn't just do kumbaya, we are the world. Um, they, they got into real covenant kind of living, and she can share a little bit about what that experience was, was like for her, and I learned a lot just pastoring people who were not like me and learned the need for us to talk to each other rather than talk at each other. And Sister Meredith, that is such an important point, because I find that if you know somebody, truly know them, and particularly from the Christian perspective, to walk in fellowship with them, it might be easier to not only hear what their burdens are, but maybe even carry some of those burdens, and probably far less likely to have a disgust, disdain, or outright, in the context of, of the broader context of what we're discussing here, outright hatred for somebody that you really know and understand. Speak to that point, if you would, please. Well, that's very true, and I just want to commend you for having this um necessary conversation, but I see it as also a courageous conversation. Uh, the scripture that comes to mind, and I know that it's talking about Jesus, but I think it also fits right now, is uh, found in Isaiah chapter 53, where it says about Jesus, he was despised and rejected. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with deep grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised, and we did not care. It's easy to turn your back on something that is unpleasant to see or to discuss. It's very easy to do. I understand that. But to have an intentional conversation, to talk about something that is uncomfortable, to talk about something that you may find yourself unwittingly a part of, just not wanting to discuss it or thinking it's, it doesn't exist. And so I'm thankful for the conversations that I've had with women who cared enough about me to want to hear my story, and, um, and I dare. And I think that's the beginning, where you get to know one another to the extent that you love each other and I want to hear your story, even if it's uncomfortable. And that's what I experienced with my friends. And one of my friends recently said, I pride myself on living in a racially diverse state, and I never thought about whether that means that everyone is treated the same. Mm. She just assumed we all know Jesus, we know each other, we love each other, and our life stories are the same. But until George Floyd's death, it did not occur to her that maybe Meredith has experienced something that I am unaware of and that I don't experience. And she apologized for living with white privilege 
but immediately said, I don't even know what that is. I just know I have it, but I don't know what it is. So she wanted to know, what's it like to be a black woman in America, in Northern California? How are our lives alike, and how are they different based solely on race? That was a really bold question, and I loved her for asking and then being willing to listen to my answer. And I think it's a question that all of us at this juncture need to be asking because, uh, particularly for white Americans, there's a lot of head-scratching going on and, you know, we didn't realize, we don't know. I, I tell you, one aspect of my experience that, that has really been an eye-opener in just the last uh, month here or so, uh, you know, on YouTube, if you watch a video of a particular background, uh, they start giving you suggestions. And so suddenly, if you if you watch a, a video about, uh, I don't know, antique car restoration, suddenly you're inundated with recommendations. Well, I have found watching videos related to the George Floyd murder, suddenly I started getting fed videos from all over the country over various time spans, some that were shot by amateurs on cell phones, others that are professionally produced as news packages coming from news organizations, talking about cases of police brutality against black Americans all over the country under some of, sometimes some of the most ridiculous circumstances like the young man who was a physician by trade who was leaving the hospital where he works en route to go visit his father. And, of course, he's a doctor. He's well-dressed. He's driving a late-model BMW or what have you. Gets pulled over by a police officer, and he had the presence of mind to roll video on this as he is harassed and harangued for probably the better part of an hour. The officer repeatedly insisting, and I actually watched the video and went back and counted 17 times, are you smoking marijuana? Did you smoke marijuana today? Have you ever smoked marijuana? I mean, it, it was clear this guy had an agenda. And at the end of the day, it turned out that the sole basis upon which he, quote-unquote, pulled this young man over was because he had one of those little, you know, when you go to the car wash, you get those little trees, the the air freshener you hang on the rearview mirror. He had that hanging on the rearview mirror, and the premise was it could block your view. Wow. But I watched this guy harangued and harassed for the better part of an hour in this lengthy video on YouTube, and I thought, wow, I don't know how many of us really understand what the average person goes through in this country just going about their business. I know if it were me and I had been pulled over, about the fifth time the cop pressed me for, had I smoked marijuana today, did I smoke it, would I smoke it, all of this nonsense, I would have absolutely flipped my lid. Mm. Yep. And yet, as rare and unique as that might be to white America, that is kind of business as usual, sadly for so much of black America. And Sister Meredith, let me start with you. I don't want to ignore Paul, but <laughs> I, I'd like to have you, you, you kind of have the floor right now, so to speak. Educate us for a moment. That friend of yours asked the question, what's it like? Um, you're, you're the mother of, of two young boys, um, or actually a boy and a girl, both that work with you alongside in, in ministry. Um, as a parent, what were some of the things that you had to teach 
your son and daughter as they prepared for young adulthood? Just help us understand. Well, you certainly want to educate your kids to love everyone. We are Christian parents before anything else. So you want to pass along your values. And as a believer, we have those shared values that love one another, be kind to one another. But when it comes to racial issues, that's a different kind of lesson and conversation that needs to be had. And I found that wanting better for my children than I grew up with was a lot like the same conversations my parents had. So it's surprising that 30 years um, 30 years later, I'm having similar conversations with my children. Do good. Excel at your studies. You want to get into good schools. You want to do well in school. You want to be taken seriously. And I think when you are black, it matters more. It comes down to just plain um, conversations that you wish you didn't have to have, but if you're applying to a specific school where the black population is small, you want to stand out for the right reasons. You want to stand out because you're applying yourself to your studies, that you are well-behaved, that you are living with values that bring something to the table and don't take away. And so we were very intentional in teaching our children that even where their education is concerned, that's your job. <laughs> be a good student. So that doesn't mean you have to be a straight A student, although they were, but it meant do your best all the time. That's your job. But we certainly, it, it's a, a double-edged sword because it's something you want them to just represent themselves well. You want them to be great people. But it feels weird when you hear your child being called a credit to their race. You don't want it to have to do with color at all. Just be your best. But unfortunately, when you are black and you are a minority and you are a trailblazer at a, uh, a specific school, if it is largely Anglo, then you are going to stand out. So teaching them to stand out for the right reasons was very important. And now that my husband and I are grandparents, it is horrific to hear the story that you shared about the woman in Branson. I'm going to teach my grandchildren to hate you. It's, it's chilling because we want to see our brand-new one-month-old grandson grow up, and hopefully it's a better day for him that he will be taken seriously. He won't be pulled over just because of the color of his skin. And God forbid, he will never have someone put their knee on his neck. So we have this brand new baby in our life now, and we are already thinking ahead, and we want him to have better. We want to teach better. Some things are taught because it's put into people, and then, as my husband often says, other things are caught. It's what they're to what they grow up with, the values that you live with. And so it's incumbent upon us as parents, as believers, to make sure we're modeling the right behavior before our children and now our grandchildren. 
And Pastor Shepard, toward that end, I mean, is there going to be a time? Congratulations, by the way, uh, on the new addition to the family. And and if this were TV, we'd be asking you to hold up all the photographs right now. (laughs) Uh, But is there going to come a time when you may feel compelled to sit down with that grandchild when he reaches a certain age and have the talk? And some white folks right now listening have no idea what I'm what I'm referring to. But explain what that is, and why so often that is sadly necessary. Yeah, we do have to let our kids and and now uh, grandkids know. I remember tra- uh, teaching my children how to drive when they were both teenagers uh, at sixteen, ready to to get behind the wheel. And so before we send them to driver's ed, I said, "Let me take you out and." and get you started because mainly I wanted to talk about some of the practical things. They, they learned uh, the disciplines of being good drivers, but I said practically driving while black is a very real thing. And so here's what you've got to know. You've got to know uh, that when you get pulled over and it's pretty clear that the police officer uh, has another agenda, uh, you want to be polite and you want to make sure that you um, are not seen as being hostile or perceived as being hostile, um, and those sorts of things. It is re- driving while black is real, shopping while black is real. I'm a pastor in my 60s, but I still know what it is to be in a store dressed casually and be followed by two or three um, de- detectives in the store um, because they perhaps, you know, they're, they're saying, well, you know, he seems to fit the profile of a potential uh, shoplifter. There's no point in me arguing that point. If they've been told that and they want to put a couple tails on me, one time I remember just making a game out of it. And after this one detective wasn't that real good at being discreet, and I finally walked over to him and said, look, uh, I'm pastor of such and such a church, and I'm here to buy such and such a thing. Um, you would probably be better off finding somebody else because I'm going to walk out of here having bought everything that I want, and so you don't have to worry about me. I made him laugh and chuckle, too. Um, And so we we do have to train children, but the thing I want the body of Christ to get more than anything else is these are real issues, and we need to work through them. Um, Craig, let me take a moment and just mention that next week on Destined for Victory, all five days, Monday through Friday of next week, I'm going to be presenting a message I just finished at my church called um, a word to the body of Christ about racial equality. And I try to cover these kinds of things and many others, mainly to help my white brothers and sisters, as well as other non-black races, understand there are ways which we've got to learn to speak to each other and connect. Because, again, I think the hope of the world is the church. Jesus already told us we're the salt of the earth and the light of the world, so we got to figure out how to be salty and how to shine bright. And that will only happen racially if we will have the courage to have, I like what Meredith said, courageous conversations. And if we do that, I think we'll be better off. So next week I'll be talking about that on the broadcast each day, Monday through Friday. That'll be, a, that'll be absolutely a, a destination tune-in, as we call it, uh, for Destined for Victory. Again, the broadcast time, 3.30 to 4 p.m. Monday through Friday here on KFAX, and more information available, too, on the web at pastorpaul.net. That's pastorpaul.net. You know, certainly the church needs to take the, the forefront in this, to lead the way, because 
the whole issue of reconciliation here, which is sort of at the center focus of much of this, is something that should weigh heavily on us because, let's face it, uh, we have benefited first and foremost from what it means to be reconciled through Christ to very God himself. And, and the Lord had to forgive us. He had to provide a way through his Son on the cross by which we may be forgiven so that then we could be reconciled and therefore walk in relationship with him. And if certainly the, the key message of the church is God's desire to be reconciled with his creation, we ought to be the ones who too can also carry the banner, so to speak, to demonstrate what walking in fellowship, what true reconciliation looks like. And I would imagine, Pastor Paul, first and foremost, certainly, if that reconciliation doesn't take place on the vertical plane, there doesn't lie much hope for it to take place on the horizontal plane. But once having occurred on the vertical plane, it's my belief that it is not something that we ought to do like, gee, we ought to support foreign missions, but rather something that we should be compelled to do, that we have to live out the, the, the life of a person who is, to be sure, fallen and, and in that process of purification and, and sanctification, all of that. But at the same token, as we are working out that relationship on the vertical plane, that making the effort to demonstrate true forgiveness and what it means to be reconciled on the vertical plane is something that really ought to be uh, compulsory. Would you agree? I, I agree wholeheartedly. And uh, one of the things I'll cover again next week when I do this throughout uh, the week on the broadcast is I'll talk about the fact that the key to what you're describing, Craig, as, as uh, reconciliation is harmony. It's not unison. God made us different intentionally. We're different races, different cultures. We were born in different, our ancestors came from different parts of the planet. And so God is into difference because difference doesn't have to create division. Difference can actually create something beautiful. We call it in music harmony. And um, you'll hear in the first part of the message next week that I present, I actually went to the keyboard and said, let me show you the difference between unison and, and unity, which is harmony, blending things. And I play one verse and chorus of Great is Thy Faithfulness in unison, meaning I just play two notes, uh, one octave apart. I play the melody with two different fingers, the verse and chorus of Great is Thy Faithfulness. And then I said, now let me play the second verse and chorus in harmony. And I play chords, and it's much richer, much better. That's what we're supposed to be racially. We're not supposed to be, a, be alike. We come from different places in the world, in our cultures, in our experiences, and God's okay with the difference as long as we make sure the difference doesn't create needless division. And so I'll be real practical next week talking about things like, and, and I think the audience ought to be prepared. I am going to go places that you don't usually hear preachers go. I will talk about Black Lives Matters and why, why uh, some folks have the All Lives Matter retort and what we need to learn in all of that. I'll talk about the kneeling uh, for the anthem versus the standing for the anthem. Those are, those are things preachers don't usually cover. But I think God has made me a reconciler, somebody who can build a bridge between the two sides that normally only talk at each other, and I'm hoping to help people understand a different perspective without reaching the conclusion mine is right on either side or yours is wrong on either side. 
and I think God's going to help us uh, begin to have conversations that will uh, result in reconciliation if we want them to. And and I think you know you're you're making such an important point here because I think so often that in the process of wanting to have dialogue that we end up as you say not talking with each other but talking at each other and there's a component where each side tries to sort of make its point and I think sadly that has contributed to much of this problem and and particularly for white America if we can't stop for a moment and and let me say it and shut up. And just listen, because so far, so, so often we're we're really not hearing. Let me give you an example. I, I, I will sometimes, and we we we've, we've seen this in discussions here over the last uh, many weeks. Is sometimes commentators will get on and they will say, "Well, you know, I, I have I have plenty of black friends, and when I see my black friends, I don't see them as a black person. I just see them as a number, another human being." And that's supposed to somehow strike a, a conciliatory tone, but doesn't that in reality say to the person on the receiving end, you're kind of disappearing? And and to your point regarding differences, you know, these differences, these distinctions that we see in the way our faces are shaped and the way our skin tone is and our hair and so forth, let's be mindful that God did that. He intentionally created difference not as a reason to divide, but something to celebrate. And, and, and then I have to wonder, if we go to the, the other end and we try in such an effort to try to bring about a sense of, of, of togetherness that we now want to suddenly erase the differences, isn't that just as potentially damaging or dangerous? It's definitely uh, potentially damaging because the difference is meant to reach all kinds of people. I mean, we all read the, read the same Bible, and we know when we get to the last book in the Bible, you see God's people coming up from every nation, every kindred, every tribe. And so if God is celebrating them at the end of the book, we've got to figure out how to celebrate it while we're living in this current dispensation until Jesus comes. Now, I personally believe his, his coming can't be that far off just based on reading the signs of the times. I'm, I'm no Harold Camping. I'm not trying to predict anything. <laughs> but um, I think his coming is, is not that far off, and we need to make sure that we're practicing unity and, and uh, celebrating diversity in the biblical sense right now, because as I said, when you get to Revelation, it's a celebration of the fact that we're coming from every tribe on earth to declare the glory of God. And your example is so brilliant because that sense of of striking that chord of harmony together, that they are different notes, different people blended together that actually make, in the case of a composition, make it sound more enriching and, and more welcoming to the ear. I mean, don't we all use the phrase, gee, so-and-so has a, a very harmonious or a mellifluous voice? And so th- there is certain beauty that is inherent to the the capacity of bringing different together that becomes harmony. And and sadly we've kind of we've kind of missed that point. And and I think it's a point that it's it's very important that we we make that we're not trying to make the the differences disappear, but rather to see them in a positive light. And and sadly, Sister Meredith, for so long there has been so much emphasis on otherness 
being something that was negative. And I, I think a lot of it goes back to a sense of people that feel threatened or frightened because they don't understand, because they don't know, because they've never had a relationship. Right. I agree. Yep, We're visiting today with uh, Pastor Paul and Sister Meredith Shepherd, and um, talking about this important issue of what racial reconciliation looks like and the many great challenges that lie before the church today. As Pastor Paul mentioned, he's going to be doing a special series on this topic beginning next Monday. It will run Monday through Friday, June 29th through July 3rd. Each weekday afternoon, you can catch that series of messages on the Destined for Victory broadcast at 3.30 p.m. right here on KFAX. Let's take a brief time out. We'll come back to more of our conversation, more of our dialogue as Lifeline continues. Right now, though, let's get you an update on traffic.